It's a short reading from Luke chapter 18, um, it's page 1052 on this church edition Bible, if that is appropriate. Um, and Jesus says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, I should say, Luke 18 verse 9 through to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. If you have a Bible, it would be helpful probably to turn to Luke chapter 18 in these few verses that we've read. I'll try to base what I, I say upon that. Just thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks to Jim for the, for the invitation to come. And it's nice to be with you. Came from Ireland in 2012 to study at Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh. My wife and I with two children then. Um, we now have four and we're working with Faith Mission part-time and work and studying part-time at Highland Theological College in, in Dingwall by distance learning. And so it's been a very pleasant journey. I came from an engineering background, worked as a civil engineer in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and God called us out of that and just um, began to lay in both my wife's heart and mine that we should be doing this type of thing full-time. I became a Christian in 1999, 17 years ago, and um, just four years ago then, God began to really stir our hearts and bring us to, to preach and to do whatever we can do for the sake of His, His kingdom. It's a wonderful project that God is doing. He's gathering people from across the planet, across the ages, and He's going to gather us all around Himself at the end of the age, and everyone will have a similar story there by faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, it's an exciting project, and sometimes when we look at it in Scotland today, it seems like we're just stepping back all the time. But if we take a global view, if we take a view that stretches out over the ages, we will see that God is not... Um, in any way hindered in his progress and in his project, and one day it will be forever complete. Anyway, that's nothing really to do with what I want to say this morning. I, as part of my work with Faith Mission, I, I get to go to different places around Scotland. I was on the island of Skye back in um, May time, and I was just chatting to somebody in a little coffee bar type thing that we were attending one lunchtime, and he was a local fella from Sky, a skiing as they call themselves, and he said, as he was trying to describe to me what people from Sky were like, he said, people from Sky have no trouble. And what he was basically saying was that people won't let you into their trouble. People put on a front, and they 
And even if you should ask them how they are and things are really bad with them, they still won't admit that there's anything wrong. I think, I think, there's, I think there's a bit of that in all of us. As Celtic people anyway, I think there's a tendency to, to, to put on a front and to keep our trouble within and only a few people, if any, get to know what's really happening within us. And that's a dangerous thing as we come to God, that we would say to Him, I'm fine, or we would approach Him trying to save ourselves from any vulnerability and just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. That's a dangerous thing. Jesus must have been in the company of such a group of people or people who were thinking in this way because He gives us at the beginning of this passage that we've read, just an introductory statement that says this, um, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. There must have been people who were confident that before God they were just fine. He tells a parable, and this parable that we've just read, I think it's very visual, very helpful for us. It speaks about two men going up to the temple to pray, and if you can think about that in biblical terms, you'll understand that, that in the Old Testament, God presenced Himself visibly amongst His people. He, his, his visible presence was known, first of all, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And, and, and uh, when we're reading from the Gospels, we need to still think largely in, in, in Old Testament terms because Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. And at this point, he's, he is just describing what it would be for two people to approach God. Two people come up to the temple to pray. And what I want to look at really for the most of our time this, this morning is just the difference of approach in these two people. But just to set the scene, first of all, what it was like to come to the temple to pray. Each, each, each day at the temple in Jerusalem, they had two services where they made offerings of atonement. At dawn, first thing in the morning, and at three in the afternoon, this service began outside the sanctuary where they gathered before the great altar. On the altar would have been some sort of animal, typically a lamb. And the lamb was killed and, and uh, sacrificed on this altar and would have been burned. You could have smelt the thing, and the blood of the lamb was uh, smeared on the four corners of the, of the altar. Trumpets were sounded, cymbals were clashed. A psalm was read, and the priest who presided over all of this ceremony would then have retired into the temple, would have uh, trimmed the, the wicks on the, on, the, on the lamps, offered incense, and then came back out and told the people that the offering that had been offered on the altar had been accepted. And so at that point, the regular worshipers, just like us here even gathering um, to worship God today, then the regular worshipers could respond in prayer. And so that's the background, that's the scene for these two prayers. And, and if, 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 if you can continue to think on Old Testament terms, it will be helpful that the means of approaching God had been for generations laid down that you had to come to God with a sacrifice. And so the sacrifice had been offered and then the two people came to respond in prayer. First of all, the Pharisee. Pharisee steps up, center stage, seems to, seems to step out from the rest of the people in some way, step forward, and he announces this 
prayer, presumably audibly, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like robbers. I'm not like evildoers. I'm not like adulterers, and I'm not like him. I'm not like that tax collector over there. God, I'm, I'm one of the decent ones. I'm one of the... I'm, I'm one of the good guys in this town. I'm somebody who has never robbed anybody. I've never cheated. I've never stuck my arm in in business. I'm not an evil person. I'm quite good, really. I'm not an adulterer. Nobody could accuse me of being unfaithful. I've been faithful my whole life. And as I look around at others, the Pharisee is saying, I think I compare fairly well. It's a classic attempt to justify himself Having cleared himself of those negative things, I haven't stolen, I haven't been unfaithful, those, having cleared himself of, of those negative things, then he goes on to present his goodness. And he says, I'm actually quite religious, you know, God. In case you hadn't noticed, I fast twice a week. It was mandatory for a Jew to fast once a year. Other Pharisees fasted once a month. But this guy has taken it to a much higher degree, and he says, I fast 104 times a year. And I pay well. I give a tenth of all I get. My name will appear quite prominently on the church financial statement, so to speak. I don't just tithe my grain, oil, and wine that they would have been required to tithe, but I tithe everything. And so he's, he's presenting himself before God the first prayer to present himself before God, God, I think, I, I think I'm fairly good. And then the tax collector, quite the opposite. We, if we notice his demeanor, he, 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 rather than the Pharisee standing up, he stands back. His face is down. It, it, it's as if he can't look God in the eye, and his, his, um, he's looking down. And he beats his breast. The only other time that we find of anybody, that, that we read of anybody in, in, in the New Testament of the Bible beating their breast is, is later on in Luke's Gospel, where a group of people have just seen all that has taken place when Jesus died on the cross. And it says, when they saw all this, they beat their breast and, and uh, went away. It's just a sign of mourning. And so you see a very, very different prayer from the tax collector standing back. Almost afraid to look at God, beating his breast in mourning, aware that he has something to be mourning about. And then his simple prayer God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's no attempt to justify himself, but rather he realizes that his situation is hopeless, but rather he pleads for mercy. That uh, word that's translated mercy could have been translated atonement. comes from the word helaskomai. Could have been translated atonement. And so, he is standing, approaching God, and the means of acceptance is there because the Lamb is on the altar. It, 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 it can be seen, it can be smelt. And his prayer to God is simple. God, is there any chance that the atonement, that the benefit of that lamb could be applied to me. Somebody else has translated that little statement, Lord, would you make an atonement for me? God, 
would you have mercy on me on the basis that your wrath is propitiated in that Lamb? It's a very, very different prayer. One is basically presenting himself, I'm just fine. I can just come into God in the benefit of my own goodness. And the other says, no, I'm a sinner, and my, and my sin would keep me out. But God, is there any chance that on the benefit of what, 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 what takes place in the offering of that lamb, that it could be counted against my name and I could come and worship you? just want to really bring that home to us, bring it home to myself, bring it home to you. Which of those prayers do you pray? We've all gathered this morning to, to worship God, to approach God. Do we come presenting our own merits? Do we come with the idea that we can just come to God with our own goodness? Do you make a case that you're decent, that you're fair, that you're faithful, that you're good, that you're better than that lot, whoever they might be? We, we get a lot of that in Northern Ireland. I suppose you get it in the west coast of Scotland too, but I come, I come, I don't glory in it, but I come from the Protestant side of the community in Northern Ireland. That's, that's just what I've grown up in. That's what I've always known. And uh, as I go back into that when we go home, it, I, I see a lot of the idea that I'm decent, I pay my bills, I'm faithful to my wife, and to take it to the nth degree, somebody might have a ranger's badge in their chest, and they beat that, and they say, well, at least I'm better than that lot. We do that sort of thing. Whether it's in a Northern Ireland context, whether it's in a West of Scotland context, wherever we want to be, or wherever we are, we've got this idea that so long as we compare favorably to some other person who we, according to some code of conduct, doesn't measure up to what we measure up to, then we'll be all right. But, but what is happening here is that we're coming before a holy God. And so it matters not how I compare with my neighbor down the street, but it matters how I compare with the holiness, the perfection, the wonder and the beauty of the one before whom I'm trying to come. And the standard there is not what we would measure for ourselves, but it's perfection. And so, none of us can come to God on our own terms, but we must come pleading mercy, pleading the benefit of the Lamb, so to speak, but in our terms. The Lamb who takes away our sins is Jesus Christ on the cross, and so we come to God pleading the benefit of what somebody else has taken on our behalf. We need to come as the tax collector pleading for mercy. One of the most enjoyable things I did this past summer was a father of four, and I don't, um, the house is busy and time for thinking is scarce, but one of the times that I, one of the things that I really enjoyed just in a little bit of sort of quiet space when we were on holiday in Northern Ireland was to read the biography of John Newton. 
the man who's, who wrote that song that we'll sing at the end of the service, Amazing Grace, sang, sang all, all over the world. But John Newton was, as a young man, a young man in his teens and twenties, was a real troublemaker and a blasphemer. He worked on slave ships and he worked on navy vessels, bringing people, bringing slaves from the west coast of Africa to the Americas and uh, all working out of a business harbor down in Liverpool. But he he was returning as a young man on a slave ship across the Atlantic, having been wonderfully rescued himself from a, a plight that he found himself in in the west coast of Africa. But he was coming back across the Atlantic from, from the States, having delivered, or from the Caribbean, I suppose, having delivered a load of slaves to the Caribbean. And they were coming back, and the ship that they were sailing in, just with the crew left on it, uh, was struck by a storm. And the, the, the thing was battered, and they, they lost a lot of their food, and the, and, the, and, the, and, 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 and the ship was just hanging together. And the, the captain had turned against Newton because Newton had been such a blasphemer and had given him such a foul mouth on the other parts of the, of the journey that the captain was holding Newton responsible for all that had, that, all that had befallen them. And he says himself, I thought it very probable that all that had befallen us was on my account, that I was at last found out by the powerful hand of God and condemned in my own breast. And in great danger and heaviness in his own soul, he began to to come under what we would describe as conviction of sin. And he began to be humbled, and he began to realize that before a holy God, he was in big trouble. And if he went down to the bottom of the Atlantic, that he would never see the face of God again. And he began to remember little snippets of Scripture, little verses and parts of verses of Scripture that that, uh, his mother had taught him when he was just a six-year-old boy before she died. And with the light and benefit of these verses, he began to call out to God and that God would save him. And save him, he did. The ship eventually limped its way into Loch Swilly Harbour off Donegal, and he got onto Irish soil, and he said, about this time I began to know that there's a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. Whether we look at the life of Newton, whether we look at my own life, whether we look at your life, the way to approach God is in humility, is admitting that we can't come to God on our own terms, but we must come on the benefit of the sacrifice of another, uh, zeroing out our own benefit. What else can we say from this passage? Well, we don't just begin as Christians in humility, but we ought to continue as Christians in humility. Um, As Christian people, we would live our lives in an attitude of dependence. And that, you know, the, the, the focus of this parable is on prayer. And the life of the Christian is one of continued prayer, daily prayer, whereby we, we, we daily affirm to God this idea of faith and of dependence and of leaning on Him. It's really practical. First thing in the morning, it will be helpful for us if we just say to God, listen, God, I don't, 
There are things about this day that I can't do. More than that, I can't do this day except you help me. And we as Christian people would, would continue in an attitude of humility, in an attitude of prayer, therefore, living each day with a dependence, a leaning upon our God, continually coming to God on the basis of a sacrifice, on the basis of the shed blood. Because there'll be stuff that you've done yesterday, and there'll be stuff that you've done even this morning, and it breaks the fellowship. And we must continually come to God in prayer. In, in, in the words of 1 John 1 verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us. And so this way of approaching God on the benefit of our sin being covered according to His sacrifice is a daily thing. Yes, it is our way in in the first place, but it is also our way on as humble people, praying people, dependent people. That people, and it will be hugely helpful for us, whether it's in church or in our street or in our family or anything else. One of the, one of the things that comes out of this parable is that as the Pharisee was looking down on other people, um, what does it say? The Pharisee was looking down on everybody else. That's really annoying. That spoils the group. If anybody thinks that they have achieved, that they have arrived, that they are better than somebody else, that's going to do harm in the church. That's going to do harm in your family. That's going to do harm in your street. But if we can continue as humble people, if, 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 if we can continue to come before God pleading for mercy and living in such a fashion with those round about us, it would be wonderfully cohesive for our communities. And it will be easier for people to walk through that door and come into this group if they realize when they get in or however they experience every Baptist church, it will be hugely helpful for them if they know that when they come in as humble people, that they will find a community of humble people. John Newton, again, he went on from his conversion to be ordained as a parish minister in a little market town in Buckinghamshire. But his influence spread within the church, and he became the rector of the influential St. Mary Woolnoth uh, Parish in the city of London. He was a leading evangelical in the wider Church of England. He was a hymn writer. He was an author. He was a popular speaker. And yet, as an old man, he, he, he easily referred to himself as that old African blasphemer. And on his deathbed, he was recorded as saying, my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. We come to God in humility. We continue in humility. One more thing I just leave you with, and it's, it's wonderfully uplifting. 
at the end of this passage, for it says, for everyone who, who exalts himself will be humbled. We've talked a lot about that. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who, who, who gets down before God, God will lift him up. And we won't forever have our face in the muck, so to speak. Because He lifts us up. And this guy who was standing, unable to look God in the eye, beating his breast in mourning, this guy was exalted. And he was brought into the family of God. And those who come to God in humility, they don't stay in a lowly estate, so to speak, but He lifts us up. He gives us status. He welcomes us into His, into his family. And that great worldwide project that I spoke about at the beginning, being welcomed into the community of God's people across the world, He exalts us into the status as children of God, And we are, in the end, exalted, not because we present ourselves worthy, but because we come in humility and allow Him to lift us. It's a wonderful thing. Christopher Ashe, one of the teachers with the Cornhill Movement, says this, when we become nothing, it's the defining moment of our lives. Jesus Himself said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In the words of your old Scottish folk tune, Loch Lomond, you'll take the high road and I'll go the low. I'll take the low. And I'll be in Scotland before you. And it, there are various ideas as to what that means. I don't think any of them means what I'm taking out of it. But just simply that the way to approach God is the low road. It's the humble path. John Newton, in his tombstone, asked for these words to be inscribed over his life. And I don't think he had any idea that we'd still be talking about him and singing his song, one of many songs he wrote. But he said, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy, a servant of slaves in Africa, lifted, exalted to the status of the child of God. Humility, a defining characteristic of God's people. Thank you so much for listening.